you got your Bibles, grab them, turn to Mark chapter 1 as we uh, open God's Word and begin this study together. We're calling Live It. Uh, location, location, location is the, uh, the answer to the age-old question, what are the three most important things I need to consider when I'm choosing a home, when I'm choosing a place to live, or I'm going to buy a home? What's the three most important things that I need to consider? Realtors will tell you, number one, location, number two, location, number three, location. And the reason they're saying that is because, really, that's primary. There's other things, yes, you need to consider, but primarily, location is huge. Maybe it's a neighborhood you want to live in. Maybe it's a neighborhood where you're, you're, uh, the schools are for your kids there. You want your kids there. Or, or maybe it's when you ever come to that point where you need to sell the house at some point in time. At, that's, it's a desired location. Location is, is important in real estate. And, and when it comes to conveying messages, messages that... Um, are, are intended, news that's intended to change the way you live, um, people choose locations to deliver those messages so that it will, uh, it will lend credibility and meaning to what is being announced. For example, um, uh, you know, the U.S. auto industry, when they want to pull the cover off some, some new car that's supposed to change the way you drive, uh, maybe it parks for you or it's got some uh, special kind of bells and whistles and they want to sort of stun you with their new, uh, new way of uh, driving the, the freeways of America, that, that they're going to make that announcement in Detroit because Detroit is where the U.S. auto industry has its, its, its birthplace. It, that's... That's where credibility and meaning comes when you're, uh, when you're announcing a new car that's going to hit the market. Uh, if there's entertainment news that's supposed to change the way you live, I highly doubt it, but if entertainment news is supposed to change the way you live, it's going to be announced from Hollywood, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's where entertainment news is announced. If it's financial news that's going to change the way you live, Wall Street will be the place where that news is announced. Some of you this past week have been watching with great interest, wondering what's going to happen with the government shutdown. What's going to happen with this potential debt default uh, in government? So all eyes and ears are tuned in to Washington, D.C., because when news breaks, it's going to break on the Capitol steps or it's going to break from the Oval Office because when political news that changes the way you live is announced, it's going to come from Washington, D.C. When technological news is being announced, it's going to be Redmond, Washington, because that's where Microsoft has its headquarters, or it's going to be Cupertino, California, because that's where Apple has its headquarters. And depending which fan of technology you are, that's where news is going to be announced that's supposedly supposed to change the way you live. So when it comes to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it comes to spiritual breaking news that's going to change the way you live, where will it be announced? Where is it going to be declared? And remember, Brian taught us so well last week, gospel is not a word that, that, that just describes these four books that we have in our Bibles. We call the gospels. The, the word gospel was a word that had cultural relevance in its day. It was used before Jesus came on the scene. When, when there was the good news of, of Caesar, a, a new leader in Rome being born, literally was inscribed in stone, this is the gospel of Caesar. This, this is the good news of a new leader that's born. 
When Greece conquered Persia, uh, when victory was, was, uh, took place on the battlefield, there were evangelists. Evangels ran with the gospel, the good news, and they, they declared that life is changing for our world. It's changing the way you live because of the news of Persia's defeat. So when we get to this gospel of Jesus Christ, that this is news, groundbreaking news that's, that's going to change the way you live. So where will it be announced? Where is it going to be declared? Is it downtown Jerusalem, that, you know, the significant spiritual center, the heart of Israel? Is it Damascus? Is it Cairo? Is it Rome? Where will the news be declared? The news, the spiritual groundbreaking news that will change the way that we live. And as we get to Mark chapter 1, what we discover is the place that this important news will break will be the wilderness. The wilderness, the, the desert, the, the lonely places, the desolate places, the, you know, the place where nothing lives. It's scorpion infested, snake infested, it's, it's bare and it's undulating, it's rocky, you can't get your footing there. That's where the, the breaking news of the gospel of Jesus Christ will first be declared. Why in the world does God begin there? Why the wilderness? I mean, why not in the, in the heart of a city where all the hustle and bustle of life is? Why not in a, in a downtown square? You know, like, you know, like Pioneer Square in Portland. Well, why not there where, where people can hear and see? Or why not like Times Square in New York City or Tahrir Square, square in, in Cairo? Why not a massive square like Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China? Why not there? Why the wilderness? Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be declared in Pioneer Square. It will be declared in New York City. It will be declared in Cairo. It will even cross the ocean and be declared in China. But first, the groundbreaking spiritual news about how men and women, boys and girls, can be made right with God, become friends of God, it will first be declared in the wilderness. Why? Location, location, location. Look at, just look at some of these pictures to give you an idea. Because when you, when you think wilderness, don't think, you know, uh, you know, Yosemite and don't think Jellystone, okay? Think, think barren, rocky, dirty, and just nothing of life there. This next picture just shows just how, how hard it is for something to survive in the wilderness. You, you can't get your footing there. There's nobody there. There's no people there. This next picture is a picture of the Judean wilderness from a, from a height looking over it. It's this vast expanse of nothing. Why would the most significant spiritual news that's going to break in all of world history why would it break there? That's the question I want to try and answer for us as we look at Mark chapter 1. I want to answer that question by having us listen to three voices that come from the text. Three voices that would help us answer this question. Why would God choose the wilderness to be a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ, the news that changes the way you and I live, why would it break in the wilderness? So got your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. I'll just begin reading these, these first verses here, and we'll, we'll identify these three voices and answer that question, why the wilderness? Mark 1, verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Our first voice that we listen to is the voice of a raspy prophet. His name is Isaiah. He's declaring in the wilderness centuries before Christ will come on the scene. Long before there's, a, there's Bethlehem in a manger, you've got this prophet who's prophesying and saying that there will be a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way, clear the road for him. Now, think about this for a moment. This voice crying out, it's not crying out downtown. It's out in the wilderness. And if you can imagine those pictures, those scenes that, uh, that you saw there, imagine yourself crying out, shouting out a message in the wilderness. This vast expanse, this large land that just... It just goes on, it seems, forever. And you're shouting, and just the sheer size of it causes your voice to be swallowed up. You can't hear it. It won't travel. It won't catch someone's ears because it's just too huge of a place. Imagine that same wilderness when the winds are kicking up. You know, the dust devils are starting to spin the dirt up, and the wind is howling. And you try and shout a message into that wilderness. And what happens is that the howling winds, the sound in the wilderness, silences your voice. It's sort of like me trying to communicate with Trina in the morning when she's got the blow dryer going and she's blowing her, drying her hair. It's not the time to have a conversation, right? Because the sound is, is silenced. That's the wilderness, this vast expanse of nothingness, barren, and there's a voice crying out in the wilderness that's just going to be swallowed up, and it's going to be silenced by the wind. Why, Why the wilderness? Well, what seems ineffective and powerless to us crying out in the wilderness is exactly where God chooses for the gospel to begin. And when you understand Isaiah's context, it may even get a little bit more perplexing, and hopefully it may provide some understanding, because Isaiah, that, that quote, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 and 3, those words are taken from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, this latter half of the book of Isaiah, most scholars believe that is written as the people are headed into exile, or perhaps as they're already in exile, which means that these are a people who have watched their hometown, they've watched their city be ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar. They've seen the smoke burn burn up into the, into the sky. They smelled, they smelled the burning city. They perhaps watched a mom or a dad be executed. They saw neighbors put to death by the sword. Perhaps they even saw brothers and sisters sold into slavery. They saw all kinds of carnage and all kinds of destruction. And these are people that are entering into their own wilderness. And it's at this very moment, this vast expanse of pain. Some of you are there today. It's into this vast expanse of pain and barrenness to where a cry goes out that can't be heard, a cry goes out and it is silenced that Isaiah will speak these words. I mean, imagine the scene, the trauma, the difficulty, the frustration, the confusion, and then you've got a prophet saying words like this. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem. Shout and do not be afraid. 
Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. And he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. What's your response when you've watched your city burn to the ground, you've watched people lose their lives, and you hear some story about a sovereign God who's riding on the mountaintops that holds sheep close to his heart? Your response might be similar to what Isaiah's uh, audience what they would have responded, Isaiah chapter 40, same, same chapter, verse 27, read these words. I think they're coming. Isaiah 40, 27, there we go. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. Do you hear what the people are saying? Isaiah, you're talking about, you know, the sovereign God coming in power, but God can't see me. I'm lost in the clutter on his desk. There's just all this stuff that God's got. I mean, I'm, I'm, lost, I'm lost in the pile of papers on his desk. God can't see me. If he can see me, then my cause is disregarded. My, my case is being ignored by God. God can't see me. If he can't see me, he's just flat out ignoring me. And... The voice is silenced in the wilderness, in the vast expanse of our pain. Yet it's, it's in a situation like this that God begins to first announce the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's into pain, it's into disappointment, it is into loss that a word of hope is given for the one who can hear. These aren't answers, church. These aren't like, so this is why this is happening. This is why you're going into exile. This is why you buried a daughter. This is, this is why your, your marriage blew up. This is why you lost your job. And this, this isn't a time for answers. This is merely speaking into a wilderness of chaos, speaking into a wilderness of loss and disappointment, and hearing a voice saying, someday, one day, there is going to be one who will come, and he will prepare the way for the Messiah, and there will be joy. And today, let me just say these words to you. God loves you. Yes, you know that from reading the Bible. Yes, you know that by singing the Sunday school songs, but when you're in the chaos, what seems like an elementary truth becomes a profound truth. It becomes a word of hope that will indeed prepare the way. And maybe you're here today, and it's difficult for you to hear a word of hope but let me speak to you and say, in, in the vast wilderness of your experience this week or this year, into the, into the howling winds of your wilderness, let me say to you, God has not forgotten you. He sees you. Yes, he loves you. And he even likes you. And that's where the gospel begins. Isaiah's voice is a voice of hope into the chaos of our lives. 
into this chaotic mess, he says, there's a day coming. And that's the first voice. Second voice is the voice of John the Baptist. Let me just pick up reading it in, in verse 4 of Mark chapter 1. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Let me hit the pause button there. Isaiah has just said, there's someone coming. He's going to prepare the way. John is saying, this guy was John. That's John the Baptist. Verse 5. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The first voice we hear in the wilderness is Isaiah, and this is a word of hope in the midst of chaos. The second voice is the uh, voice of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is the prophesied prophet. Isaiah, he's a prophet, and he's prophesied of a prophet coming. John the Baptist is the prophesied prophet, which means that over here, where we didn't see any any reason for hope, we we couldn't see God on the mountaintops coming our way, we didn't see the answer, to this, this, this chaos we're living in. When we get to John the Baptist, he's the prophesied prophet, which means we're beginning to see that God is about to move, that God is about to rescue his people. He's the prophesied prophet. It's, it's, it's sort of like when I was a kid living in Malaysia, and my mom and dad told us, the kids, they, they said that the Harlem Globetrotters were coming to Penang, Malaysia, and we were going to go see them. Now, they, they told us this, and that was kind of a big deal back then because, you know, that's a long time ago in the Dark Ages, but that, 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 was, that was coming, and, and then the day came when I was riding my bike in Penang, Malaysia, or I was riding the bus with my brother and my sister, and we saw a billboard on the side of the street that said, the Harlem Globetrotters are coming, and it had dates, and it's not that we, that we thought our parents were deceiving us, but now that we could see that it was actually going to take place, the Harlem Globetrotters were coming coming. That's just like John the Baptist, sort of. Over here, we just get, we get the message, right? Hope is coming. The the globetrotters are coming. But here, what we do is we start seeing billboards. We start seeing signs, which is why the people in Jerusalem and Judea are leaving the city and going out to hear this guy who's preaching in the wilderness, He's preaching in the wilderness, and he's, he's giving, some, God is on the move. And what John the Baptist is doing, he's wearing his Armani camel hair suit, and he's got his leather belt on, right? And he's dipping locusts in wild honey like a kid dips their chicken McNuggets in barbecue sauce. It's odd. It's a prophetic diet. There's meaning to all that. But they're coming out there, and they're confessing their sins, and John's preaching a message of repentance, and here's what he's saying. He's telling the people, It's time to realign your life with God. It's time to change the way you're living because the king is coming. 
He's almost, the king is coming, and so it's, it's, time to, it's time to live differently. It's not a call to stifling legalism. It's not a call to religiosity. It's simply a call to preparation and repentance. It's saying, hey, look, you got two coats? Give one to someone who doesn't have any, and they're cold at night. Tax collector, stop collecting more money than you should collect. Roman soldiers, stop extorting people and be content with your pay. It's time to live differently. It's not a call to legalism. It's a call to live differently because, friends, the king is coming. And let me say to you today, church, our king is coming. He's coming, and it is time to live differently. And perhaps you are here today, and you have chased empty paths. You have embraced uh, behaviors that you know you shouldn't embrace. Your eyes have seen things they shouldn't see. Your hands are touching things they should not touch. You have possessed attitudes that shouldn't be possessed. And what I want you to hear today is that perhaps the Spirit would just be saying to you, as we begin this journey of the gospel of Mark, the, the news that changes the way we live, perhaps what the Spirit is saying to you today, it's time to realign your life with God. You've gone a bunch of different directions, but it's time to realign your life with God because the King is coming. And I believe that John spoke with authority because what he did is he left Jerusalem. He left the town square. He didn't choose to preach on a street corner there. He removed himself from the hustle and bustle of life. He removed himself from all distraction so that he could hear God. He embraced simplicity. Yes, he wore animal skins for clothes. He ate an odd diet, but he embraced simplicity so that he could hear from God and speak for God. And then he embraced humility as well. This statement about I'm not worthy to, to untie the, this, this Messiah's sandals, it's, it's not a self-disparaging message like, oh, poor me, pity me, I'm, not, I'm no good. No, what he's saying, see, in that day, there were several levels of humility. The one level of humility was the, the level of disciple, meaning that the rabbi, the rabbi called the shots and the disciple did everything that a rabbi said except untie the sandals. That was the job for the next level of humility, which was that of a slave. The slave untied sandals and washed feet. What John is saying here, he's saying, I am not worthy to be a disciple of the one is coming. I am not worthy to be a slave of the one is coming. This one who is coming, he is just not better in degree. He's, he's completely different than me. What I am doing, I'm baptizing you in the Jordan River as an external symbolism of your repentance. But what this one who is coming, I baptize with water, he baptized with spirit. He is going to take what is external and he is going to do an internal work with it and he is going to transform our wilderness. And John is simply saying, this is the one whose way I'm preparing. He's removed himself from distraction. He's embraced simplicity. And he's taken on humility to position himself to be a voice of realignment and repentance to prepare the way. And perhaps you're here today and you've gone sideways spiritually and God is saying to you today, it's time to repent. It's time to realign your life with God. It's time to live life differently. Remove yourself from the distractions, embrace simplicity, and take on humility.
And that's the second voice. The first voice is Isaiah. It's just, it's just a word of hope in the midst of chaos. There aren't any answers. It's, it's a someday message. But it's where the gospel is declared. It's where it begins. And a way is prepared when we listen to that message of hope. And with John the Baptist, this is a message of realignment because the king is coming. It's a time to get ready. And then we have the third voice. And the third voice from the Gospel of Mark, you will not hear in any verses that I would read to you. We could keep going and you'd get more wilderness, location, location, location. What does Jesus do? He comes and he's baptized in the wilderness and then he's tempted in the wilderness. We talked about that last month, the meaning of that. But I want to talk to you about a third voice, a third voice, the voice of a person whose name this gospel is written. Uh, this name that's on the gospel that we're, that we're reading today. It's Mark. Brian mentioned to you last week that, that Mark's story is an interesting story. He's writing to people in Rome who are either just about to go into persecution or they're in full-blown persecution. It's a time of fear and panic. It's a time to run away from God. And that certainly is Mark's story. Mark, this gospel of Mark is the only gospel that contains an odd story of when Jesus is being arrested. There's this young man who the, the soldiers have their hands on him, the temple guards have their hands on him, and he sort of wrestles his way. He frees himself, but he's, he's left his clothes in the hands of those who are trying to arrest him as well with Jesus, and he runs away naked. It seems like sort of an odd story to read in the Bible. Unless it's what most scholars believe is to be an autobiographical insertion by Mark. That was me. I deserted Jesus in his time of need. And it's the same Mark in, Mark, in Acts chapter 12. We hear the story about Peter being freed from prison and this influential woman had this house. There's this prayer meeting going on there. It's the same Mark that when, when the, the church is about to send its first missionary team, there's, there's Paul and Barnabas. I mean, this, these are the very first ones who are going to be sent out. And, uh, and they're picking their team. Remember the days in elementary school when you lined up on the fence and you're picking the team for kickball or whatever tag or whatever you're going to play? And you're just saying, oh, I, just don't, I just don't want to be last. Just don't pick me last. And some of you in the room know the joy of being picked first. That was Mark. He got picked first. Paul. Missionary extraordinaire, church planter, that, uh, gifted beyond anyone who's ever been gifted since. He, he chooses Mark. Mark, is, maybe his chest had to puff up with pride. This is amazing. I got picked by Team Paul and Barnabas. This is, this is awesome. And he heads out on his first journey, all full of excitement, gets the first leg of it, and things aren't quite as fun as he thought it would be. And there's frustration, and Mark goes AWOL. He quits. He goes back home. Paul and Barnabas keep on going. They, they, they do their first missionary journey. They, they, they do their first term as missionaries, and they come back to the home church, and there's slides and videos and curios in the lobby and international potluck at night, and, and, uh, and Mark is there in the room, and what's he hearing? This loud voice in his conscience saying, quitter, failure, you, you missed, you, you're, you're a loser. And then Paul and Barnabas are going to head back out again. And, and, uh, and as they're going out, Barnabas says, hey, we're going to take Mark again this time. Let's give him a second chance. Give him another shot at this. And what does Paul say? Paul says, not, not on my no, no way. I am not 
taking a quitter with me out to do what God's called me to do. And, and Paul and Barnabas now are in this, in this place where strife and conflict has entered into their relationship. And they sort of need that team that was up here that's going to China to work with church leaders. Paul and Barnabas need a peacemaker team to come and help them because they're, 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 they're dealing with conflict. And, and that team explodes because Paul will not travel and plant churches with a quitter. And he goes off with somebody else and Barnabas goes off with Mark and we hear so little anymore about Barnabas. But at the end of Paul's life, he's done planting churches, he's in prison, he's soon to be executed. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 records these words of Paul. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Bring Mark, bring the quitter, bring the failure, bring him with you, Timothy, and come visit me in jail because he's useful, he's helpful. Church tradition tells us that Mark died the death of a martyr. He was in Egypt proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was captured, he was drugged through the streets of Egypt, he was, his body was bloodied and broken, he was thrown into prison for one night, the next morning he was brought out of prison, he was tied to a stake, and he was burnt at the stake. Died a martyr. Mark, the failure, becomes Mark the helpful, the useful, this is a voice of redemption. This is a voice that says to you and I, after we have felt like we've disqualified ourselves, after we have failed miserably, after we have deserted Jesus, after we've blown up our marriage, after we've done this thing that's been kept a secret, this is a voice that says, yes, after all the failure, after all the flashing neon signs that are in our face saying failure, 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 there is a God who redeems and says, you're useful to me. I'm picking you. Doesn't matter what your past is. God isn't concerned about your past. He's very interested in your present and your future. It's a voice of redemption. Written by a guy who was a failure. This is, this is why when you read the Gospel of Mark, who's writing to people being persecuted in Rome, he presents, the, more than any other Gospel writer, he presents the disciples, especially Peter, in a negative light. It's like, this guy's a knucklehead. Well, why is he doing that? Because even if you don't get it, and you're going, I don't know what Jesus meant. You ask him what he meant. I, you know, That's not going to happen to you, Jesus. I don't even know the man. Even after all that, there is redemption. There's a new beginning. It's the voice of redemption. After you have, you've made a disaster of your life, the gospel is a message, news that changes the way you live because it tells you there is life after failure. Why the wilderness? Why would the spiritual groundbreaking news that every person in the world should hear, why, why is it breaking the wilderness? Well, we'll just put them up here because when my life is in chaos, there's hope in the wilderness. That's Isaiah's voice saying, if, look, if your life is in chaos, there's hope in the wilderness. John the Baptist's uh, voice speaks his second uh, message. When I've wandered from God, there's realignment in the wilderness. 
You get to hit the reset button with God. You get a realignment. It's going to take humility, simplicity, removing yourself from distraction. But there's realignment in the wilderness. And then finally, there is life after failure. When I've made a disaster of my life, there's redemption in the wilderness. That's why the gospel breaks forth in the wilderness. God does his most significant work in the wilderness. This is where the people of God first become a nation after they go through the Red Sea. This is where the law comes down from Sinai in the wilderness. This is where manna is there in the morning for them to eat. This is where water comes out of the rock. Yes, this is even where rebellion and failure takes place in the wilderness location, location, location. The gospel has its effect in the lives of his people. God does his most significant work in our lives in the wilderness, in our pain, in our loneliness, in our failures, in our wanderings. Let me just wrap up asking a few questions. You can process these on your own or in community. Today, will you hear Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not ignoring you. I see you. I love you. Perhaps you were here today and your life is a mess. Something happened this past week. Some trauma, a diagnosis, a, a break in relationship, a loss of a job, tension in the home, a fight in the car, whatever it is. Maybe life is chaos for you and you just need to hear this morning God saying, I see you. I haven't forgotten you. You're not lost in the clutter of my desk. Or maybe it's the next question you need to pay attention to. Is it time for you to realign your life with God? Church, the king is coming. The, the, the king is coming. He's returning. And perhaps you're here today and you've wandered and chosen paths that have led you away from God. And today, what the Spirit is saying to you is it's time to live life differently. It's time to realign your life with God. It will take humility and repentance. Or maybe it's this last question. Is it time for you to believe that there is life after failure? Maybe the voices in your head have said to you, failure, 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 you've disqualified, you've made such a mess, there's no chance that God could even use you. And perhaps what God is saying to you today is, send me Ed, send me Sue, send me fill in the blank. You're useful to me. You are helpful in what God wants to accomplish. And he's chosen you. Location, location, location. God begins. He begins the good news in a place we wouldn't expect, but a place we all know full well. The wilderness.